Our reading this day comes from the book of Acts, the 17th chapter. Now we have volume. Good. Acts 17, verses 16 to 31. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he argued in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and also in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Also, some Epicurean and Stoic philosophers debated with him. Some said, what does this babbler want to say? And others said, he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign divinities. This was because he was telling the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. So they took him and brought him to the Oropagus and asked him, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? It sounds rather strange to us. So we would like to know what it means. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners living there would spend their time in nothing but telling or hearing something new. Then Paul stood in front of the Areopagus and said, Athenians, I see how extremely religious you are in every way. For as I went through the city and looked carefully at the objects of your worship, I found among them an altar with the inscription, To an unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and everything that is in it. He who is Lord of heaven and earth does not live in shrines made by human hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mortals life and breath and all things. From one ancestor, he made all nations to inhabit the whole earth, and he allotted the times of their existence and the boundaries of the places where they would live so that they would search for God and perhaps grope for him and find him. Though indeed, he is not far from each one of us. For in him, we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said. For we too are his offspring. Since then we are God's offspring, we ought not to think that the deity is like gold or silver or stone and an image formed by the art and imagination of mortals. While God has overlooked the times of human ignorance, now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will have the world judged in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising that one from the dead. Adding now the 32nd verse. When they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some scoffed, but others said, we will hear you again about this. People of God, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Grant 
So this passage from Acts 17 is one of, if not my favorite one, from the book of Acts. And, and truth be told, this morning I have no clue what I intend to say to you about it. So we'll start with a prayer. Uh, the prayer that I, I just offered is one that um, I heard every single Sunday from my pastor, uh, who uh, I was privileged to be on his call committee uh, as a mm, sophomore, junior in high school, uh, the one who just retired a few weeks ago and I was able to celebrate with uh, down in North Carolina. Let your gospel be preached and let it be heard. Amen. It's short, it's sweet, it's to the point, and yet in it, there is so much to be said about our life of faith and the way that the good news of resurrection brings life to us all. At the short end of it, that's what Paul's doing in Athens this morning, right? He's been beaten, he's been tortured, he's been imprisoned. He's, at this point in the narrative, been shipwrecked at least once. He's traveled over half of the known world telling people about this strange guy named Jesus. And the good news, the gospel of how he was raised from the dead. And it's that, that strangeness, that obscure message that he's speaking about that, that gains the attention of the Athenians. Athens is the, the hub of culture and art and politic and everything in the ancient world. I mean, we're still reading and learning about Epicurus and Stoic philosophy, their concept of government, even now more than 2,000 years later. And it's the practice of these people to sit around in an open theater and, and notice how they put it. Everyone living there would spend their time doing nothing but telling or hearing of something new. They spend their days telling stories, debating in a public way the most recent fad, chewing the fat on what happened at the gymnasium earlier in the day, pondering over what some foreigner says in the street and, and how it might affect our life together. And it's for that reason that the people devote all of their time to telling and hearing new stories that Paul gets their attention. This is something we haven't heard about yet. I'm curious. Tell us, Paul, what do you mean by all this stuff? What a platform for preaching the good news. An audience hungry, hungry for what it might mean for them. 
a blank slate on which Paul can paint his entire canvas because they have no clue about any of this Jesus stuff. And so notice what Paul does. Or rather, notice what he doesn't do. Paul doesn't pull out a pocket version of the Old Testament and read to them from Genesis 1 or Genesis 3 or Genesis 12 where God created the heavens and the earth when it was formless and void or molded the first humans out of the dust of the earth or called and claimed Abraham to be his own that he might be a blessing for all people. No, instead Paul just looks and says, you Athenians, I admire you. You are a deeply religious people. I mean, look at all of these temples. Look at all of these idols. Your religious life must be something else. And so I notice there's this altar that you have in, in, in a number of places, and it's an altar dedicated not to Zeus, the Lord of the sky, or Aphrodite, the goddess of love, or Hades, even the, the overseer of the underworld, but it's an altar to an unknown God. I appreciate that, that in your religious life, you leave room for mystery, for the unknown, for the God who works in and among and around you in ways that we can't describe or identify or comprehend. You see, in practice, this God was revered in the Greek world as the divine catch-all. We need to pray for crops this season. Well, let's pray to Dionysius and, and pray that the grapes come in full. We need this thunderstorm to pass. Well, let's pray to Zeus because he's the one who hurls the thunderbolts. We, we feel grief and mourning and loss in our life. Well, let's pray to Aphrodite who can send us the loving relationship of other people. What about these things that we don't know and that we can't claim and that we can't speak of, but yet in the depths of our being, we know we need? Who do we pray to for that? Who offers that to us? I don't know. So let's pray to the one we don't know. Paul says that one that you Greeks have been sitting around telling stories about, that you revere in your temples, that you search after in this telling and hearing of something new. I actually know that God. He's the one in whom all of this has been made, who hung the stars in the sky, who gives us breath and holds us when breath is gone. This one whom, as your poets say, in whom we live and move and have our very existence. I know that God. <laughs> you know what Paul does? He doesn't even say his name. The only place Jesus is found in this passage of Scripture is an aside from the author. 
about the content of Paul's message. In telling this good news, Paul never mentions the name of Jesus. He does, however, tell the story of what God does in this world. Starting with creation, moving on through the relationships that we have with one another. And then, at the end, we do hear about this one. This one who was raised from the dead. The gospel is preached. And that this unknown God has made himself known to us because he's come to be with us. He's taken on this frail, broken, sinful humanity. He's claimed it as his own and he has made it pure and holy and full of life. And these Athenians, they're with him. They're with him all the way, right up to that point at the end where Paul says, and God has given us assurance of all these things by raising him from the dead. I added verse 32 because that's where he loses them. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some scoffed at him. And yet others still said, well, wait a minute. I'm curious. Tell me more. The beauty of that prayer is that in asking for the gospel to be heard, it leaves it open to the same wonder and mystery an opportunity that this altar to an unknown God does for the Athenians. How do you hear the good news of God's love for you? How do you hear that when your son dies in a car accident? When complications arise from surgery? When life And its bounds are in sight, and yet healing is still possible, yet unpromised. How do you hear the good news of God's love in that? Paul didn't quote to them scripture. He didn't beat them on the head with a pocket-sized crucifix. He told them the story of God's presence in their world. And that is no different than what any of you just did less than 10 minutes ago. How have you seen and come to know the unknown God in your lives? Where's that common place where we can come and sit and hear the story of God's love for us in such a way that it awakens and revives our own curiosity for a story that we have heard since we were, since we were James's age.
How does it make a difference? Knowing the unknowable. Living in the presence of a mystery. Questioning whether the dead really can be raised. I love that prayer. I love that prayer and I should pray it more often and yet in it there's still something missing. The good news can be spoken. The good news can be heard. The question remains, how is it lived? Hearing the story of God's love is life-changing. But if it doesn't change, change our life, how we really hurt it. If the story of God's love for us in Jesus doesn't raise us up with him to offer ourselves in the same way that Jesus did, with love and humility and compassion, can we really say we've heard good news? gospel really does point to the one in whom we live and move and have our being because we are God's children. How does it cause us to go into the world and tell that story we say we love so dearly? I'm serious when I say I believe that the young have an awareness of the divine that we can't know. And their cries are prayers of thanksgiving and praise incomprehensible to we who have been seasoned and sullied by the world. How do we know that unknown God and come to help others know him too? that prayer and I invite you to make it your own Lord God may your gospel be preached may it be heard and let it be lived Amen